Thanks to Crime Malt, local malt for local beer. This is Australian Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, mate. G'day, listeners. Right, big chat today. We've just finished uh, speaking to Jamie Cook. Sorry, didn't, didn't, you notice, didn't you notice what I did then? You complained last week because I leave, leave a gap, so I thought I'll change the timing this time. Oh, well, you did. But... And reply promptly. Well, I, and, and, I just and, thought it was worth mentioning. <laughs> it was. It left me a little bit stunned, but I decided to push on and, you know, I, I just wanted, I didn't feel it was worth remarking right. on. Jamie Cook, you said. Jamie Cook. Yes, we've got a great chat with Jamie Cook. Uh, very, very long chat, not only about stone and wood, but Jamie's, uh, you know, one of the people that uh, I listen to uh, you know, very, very attentively whenever he talks about the Australian craft beer market. And so we've got a fantastic uh, chat with Jamie that goes for an hour. So we probably, given the... Uh, um, length of time that most of these run for. We probably don't want to spend too much time in the intro outro. But um, any news for you this week, Prof? No, not this week. Nothing. What about you? Uh, well, I was down in Melbourne because next week we're playing our uh, chat with uh, Mike Bannenberg, uh, beer historian, label collector, and former art director for the, some of the famous CUB ads, um, which was a great chat that uh, we had in a pub. Um, in Melbourne this week, and whilst I was in Melbourne, I stopped into Stomping Ground um, and checked that out, and uh, had a really, really nice. Um, yeah, it was very impressed. You, you've no doubt spent a bit of time at Stomping Ground, Prof. I have uh, spent uh, a little bit of time there. Yeah. Um, any great, beers really stand out venue. for you? Uh, look, I've got to say, uh, you know, as boring as it may sound to some, um, but there, I reckon. Ashes, uh, Munich Hells is just an absolute cracker. It's a, and we'll probably talk about it more next week. Uh, the beer that you and I shared with uh, with Banners um, in our chat this week that's going out next week. Um, but sometimes just a very well crafted um, uh, malt and hop balanced lager slash pilsner slash Hells uh, is a a nuanced joy to behold. Uh, I didn't try that one because I tried the one of their paddles and that wasn't the beer they had on it and so there was no going back to a, a light yeah um, yep but the, I, the Gipps Street Pale is is very strong as well just mm, a really good I was very very pale. impressed with the, the beers but uh, I, I think the, the beer that really stuck out for me um, they had a double IPA that was just superb um, but the beer that really stuck out for me was Ash's um, Berliner Weiss because yeah, Berliner Weiss is one of those styles that we're seeing around a lot um, and I've found a lot of the versions to be a little bit one-dimensionally sour. You know, you've got sourness, and that's yep. it. Um, yep. Ashes and maybe which, which one was it? Was it the 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 uh, you know the the line and length Berliner Weiss? No, no. Because uh, when I was there last week, I was lucky enough to have a wee sip of uh, one that he moved off into a little two fifty liter fermenter with some um, uh, lemongrass and. And anyway, it came. It was this magnificent. I'm not a lemongrass fan, so that kind of overpowered me a little bit. But the actual flavour and the aroma of Turkish delight rose water was just absolutely sensational. Oh wow! No, was, this that... was the Bad Seed Berliner Weiss. Yeah, which I think yeah. is their standard one. Uh, and I was just so impressed with the fullness of the flavour of it. You know, like it was still light, crisp, three point eight percent from memory. But you know, and it had all of the things that you expected for Berliner Weiss. But it had more than just being one-dimensional. And uh, mind you, I, I did cringe a little bit when they offered syrups um, because, again, th- this is where prejudice comes in and one needs to have an open mind. 
Um, when they offered to put the syrups in, I straight away thought of Starbucks and you know coffee with syrups in. And I thought if you know whenever I'm in Starbucks, which is very rarely, and they offer me syrups, I think no, I want a coffee. I don't want a fruit flavored you know cocktail because I want a coffee. Um, but I was encouraged to try them, and yeah, the the, the syrups really did add to the flavour. And again, I should have been uh, realised that uh, anything that the tap house guys do isn't really going to be anything similar to Starbucks. So uh, no, I was, I was very, very impressed there. The other beer, and uh, you uh, touched on it. Um, now, what was the name of the pub that we were drinking in, Prof? Uh, the Palace Hotel in South Melbourne. Palace Hotel, uh, shout out to them, um, and Jess, the manager. Um, had a Thornbury Lager, which is a New World Pills. And it was just gobsmackingly good, Prof. We, uh, we, I think we ordered a pot um, between us and uh, went back and got a jug because rather than move on, it was just so delightfully done. Yeah. We're supersized. Yeah, yeah no, but it was just, wasn't that yeah. just a, you know. Yeah, brewed by three ravens and an absolute cracker. And I actually shot um, Brendan O'Sullivan a uh, message uh, as, I was, as I was leaving, just congratulating him on it. And, uh, you know, he said, oh, it's one of those beers that we get a bit of criticism for for being too much like uh, Carlton Draft. Um, and, you know, anyone, and as I said back to him, anyone who says it is anything like Carlton Draft is a peanut, um, and I'll stand by that. But we might get a little bit more to that um, after our chat when we get to cards and letters. Um, well, look, Jamie Cook probably needs no introduction, Prof. We've had him on the... Is he a friend of the show, Prof? Uh, he is officially a friend of the program. Yes, he has been on three times. Still, it seems like more. Maybe the chats are so... Uh... So so long. No, anyway. it has been more, but you've got to be at least three to right. be so, classified as friend of the program. We might have to. We might have to get t-shirts done. We could. Um, hey, actually, Prof, speaking of t-shirts, you wore the um, uh, consistency quality uh, novel. Uh, no, consistency quality balance uh, and style t-shirt. No, I wore hops, Brett, novelty, oh. and hype. Um, on on, on uh, promo you did for Ballarat Beer Festival with uh, Kiralee and uh, sparked quite a bit of interest. Um, yeah, and uh, a, a few sales too. I have to say so. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Um, so, listeners, if you want a little bit of Radio Brews News merch, um, jump online and you'll see it down the right-hand side of the page and click through it. But um, that aside, let's uh, maybe have a chat. Jamie needs no introduction, really, one of the three founders of Stone and Wood, and we have a fantastic chat about all things Stone and Wood and also the Australian beer market. Jamie Cook, welcome back to Radio Brews News. We don't need to ask who you are. I think uh, you, you've been on the show often enough that people pretty much know that you're one of the founders of uh, Stone and Wood. Um, it's been a huge year for you guys. Yeah, it's been a big year, guys. Um, and uh, thanks for having me, Matt and Pete. And Pete, you're looking trim. Very trim. Thanks, man. Um, guys, uh, yeah, yeah, Stone and Wood uh, Brewing Co. This year we've had a we've had a massive year. I think um, you know if you look back over the year, there's been some pretty big gongs we've managed to pick up this year, and I think it's a real sort of credit to the team. Um, you know, things like the hottest 100 win, AIBA champion large brewery, silver medal at the World Beer Cup again. Uh, you know, earlier awards we got best craft beer and best tap beer. Uh, our B Corp, our recent B Corp accreditation and a couple of other sustainability awards we've picked up have been things that we've really, um, you know, I think have really sort of said that, yeah, it's been a massive year for us, but, um, you know, we continue to enjoy what we're doing. Jamie, I've had a few people ask me, um, just based on the awards that we, you were talking about, um, you know, why don't Stone and Wood enter, uh, you know, beers, or why don't, we, why don't they win awards? Uh, obviously, for a few years, I think three or four, three years there, um, Brad was 
obviously the uh, the head judge at the AIBA. So um, for those who don't know, that Brewers beers are then not eligible to be entered. Um, but there seems to be a bit of conjecture around that, oh, because, you know, they don't actually have a style, so they won't win medals or they don't need to win medals. Is, is, can you just clear that up for us? Sure, yeah. When we first when we first kicked off, it wasn't something that we went chasing awards. And, you know, I mean, we have a... We had an approach from day one, which was around, you know, we don't really brew beers to sort of existing style standards. Um, but as as the uh, as time's gone on, and I guess as the industry's evolved, and we've seen sort of evolution of sort of styles, and the AIBA have changed their standards in terms of you know the criteria around certain wards, etc., and uh, style categories. Um, some of our beers have sort of sat in those styles a bit better than what they ever did when we first started brewing them. Um, and, you know, as the brewing team, I guess when we first started, the three of us, we weren't sort of looking for any sort of endorsement, I guess, from from the industry. I think, you know, we'd had enough runs on the board to be self-confident in what we've done, what we were up to. But as the team's got bigger and the brewing team, you know, now it's quite a big team of young brewers. We, we decided it's time to sort of, you know, enter some of those things to... Um, let the team see the sort of, you know, the, the, the benefits in their work and where they're benchmarked against other brewing teams around the country. So, um, yeah, in the la- in recent years, we've um, we've entered things like the AIBA um, and obviously the World Beer Cup is something, you know, I think we've put our beers in the World Beer Cup the last few times um, and managed to win it silver a couple of times in that. Hopefully that goes to answer your question, Pete. Yeah, no, perfectly. I- <laughs> yeah. Jamie, how do you go about getting your beers to the States? We've spoken to a lot of brewers um, over the years and guys like Brendan Varis, you know, always worries about how his beer travels um, uh, being sent over there, particularly with the hop character of a beer like Pacific Ale. Um, do you, you know, book a special business class seat for a slab of um, Pacific Ale to make sure it gets there and, you know, not <laughs> tired and emotional? No, we wish. I wish. No, no, no. It just uh, goes in a similar process to every other brewer around the world who who enters their beers. You've got to send it off in you know in the right conditions and get it to the spot where the uh, BA guys want it to go to. And yeah, it's a one of those hope for the best type situations. You know, it's um that's, that's the way it is. But yeah, so awards. You know, I think you know. We, as I said, it's been a, it's been a big year for us in that regard. But. But I guess um, Stone and Wood, you know, we, we've grown and grown and a lot of people sort of say, you know, as you grow, you know, your beer, your beer can necessarily grow with it in terms of quality. You know, in fact, you know, I think a lot of people out in the, out in the marketplace, they sort of see an inverse relationship between size and quality. And I think um, as we've grown, I think uh, we've sort of countered that argument a bit and I think our beers are better than they've ever been now. You know, um, so which is a real testament to you know investing in quality and and a team and developing the brewers in the team and uh, yeah, I think that's you know hopefully we can continue to grow and continue to strive for that quality that we're looking for. I, I guess the biggest question, uh, given that we're heading to the middle of December, is are you uh, going to run out of beer this Christmas? <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, well, this stage it's actually looking okay. Um, you know, we've uh, we've finished our big upgrade of uh, our our second cellar earlier in, early this year, and uh, we've been working pretty hard to build stock and make sure we're in a good position for well the middle. We're right in the middle of it right at the moment this week, and next week are probably going to be the two weeks. We'll 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 see how we go. Um, we'll probably uh, supply the orders that people are looking for, but um, how long it stays on a shelf for uh, in the next few weeks, well, we'll see. But um, 
yeah, we've sort of we're happy with where we're sitting at the moment, which is great. How much did you expand this year to? Uh, you know, because you've there's been a constant uh, capacity expansion. How much did you expand this year to uh, sort of get to the point that you, you, you're not short sheeting everybody at Christmas for their orders? <laughs> well, um, I think our capacity expansion, putting the second seller on, was a was a was a big expansion for us. It lifted us. It lifted our sort of annual capacity to around about 12 million litres per annum. Um, but obviously, that's you know phased over 12 months. So trying to deal with a spike of uh, summer is obviously always a challenge. But um, but yeah, so it was it was quite a big expansion putting those um, 12 40,000 litre tanks in um, earlier in the year. Um, certainly, certainly gave us a bit more capacity, and it was hopefully to get us through this summer, which it looks like it has at this stage. And then um, we'll be probably looking at it, putting more tanks in. In the new year, um, halfway through next year, we hope to have that completed, ready for um, summer 2017. Jamie, tell us about the. Um, you mentioned the uh, the B Corp accreditation. For those who who don't know, and there might be two or three people out there who uh, don't read Australian Brews News and missed the uh, the announcement, um, tell us about that. Yeah, well, I mean that goes back to the very heart of what Stone and Wood Brewing Co is all about. I guess um, you know many many years ago, probably two or three years into our journey, we we decided to really revisit what Stone and Wood was all about. And it, can't, it couldn't be just about the three guys who started it really sort of, you know, trying to bring their dream to life when there was a whole bunch of people in the business coming to work every day. So we set about creating a purpose for Stone and Wood that was about, you know, um, really looking after all of its stakeholders. And what I mean by that is not, you know, not just the drinkers, um, but our customers, our suppliers, the team, the community, the environment. Um, and really, that's what people come to work every day at Stone and Wood Brewing Co. to do to, is to actually um, add value to all of those stakeholders. Um, and by doing that, we do it in a way that's sustainable uh, and a way that really uh, is doing the right thing by people, the environment and the communities. And and that's sort of a bit of, I guess, a belief that we have uh, in the business is that, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of the trust that's broken down over the years um, by crony capitalism, if you like, um, and big corporates behaving badly, and these days probably politicians behaving badly, more badly than ever, um, is that trust is a, is a big thing that's missing uh, in the world. And, and really, it's up to businesses to actually change that by actually behaving better. And, um, and B Corp, that's what B Corp's about. Um, it's about business being for good, for the greater good. Um, and uh, it's a it's an accreditation, a bit like fair trade coffee, uh, in a way that um, if you if you run a business in a sustainable way, um, you're looking for a third party accreditation on that. Um, B Corp is a is a is a, an accreditation platform set up globally, and there's about two thousand only only two thousand companies around the world that are accredited as B Corp businesses. So we're very um, very happy that we managed to make the grade and actually be be one of those 2,000. It, it's interesting that you use that term crony capitalism because a lot of people see, um, you know, particularly in, in the beer world, you know, business relationships between, say, suppliers and uh, retailers or things as, as automatically being stamped with a, a negative brush because of some of those negative, um, you know, relationships that, that you do see. Um, but Stone and Wood is always very much focused on its 
positive relationships. Um, and whenever I speak to, uh, you know, hoteliers who stock you guys, they always talk about the strong relationship they have uh, with you guys. Is that, do you choose businesses to work closely with that share your values and that you see as being a, a natural fit or do you just follow where the business is? Um, I think I think we certainly always worked with um, like-minded businesses, whether they be customers or suppliers. Um, and I think you know that, that at the end of the day, you know, if 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 you go go to work every day and focus on adding value and creating value for those with those relationships you have, at the end of the day, the outcomes uh, are much better for everybody. And so you know, yeah, we we work very closely with our customers um, and. And in, and you know the independent customers in particular are very um, very good supporters of ours and we support them uh, as well. Um, so yeah, I think you know um, suppliers likewise. You know we're very loyal to our suppliers. There's a lot of suppliers that stuck by us in the early days when we were really struggling, um, and you know cash flow was an issue. And we had suppliers that stuck by us and helped us out. And and in turn, as we've grown, we've we've stuck by them. Um, even though there's been, you know, their competitors knocking on the door trying to offer better prices, etc., um, we're happy. We're happy to. Um, we're happy to look after those guys that helped us out. So yeah, it's 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 certainly a focus of ours is to yeah, it's all about positive uh, relationships and building value for everybody. I, I guess that's great when you're a little brewery, you know, sitting in the industrial and uh, arts estate of, of Byron Bay. You've expanded. We've seen big expansion as you sort of develop broader partnerships to cope with that expansion does that become harder to, to maintain that same quality of relationship you know isn't that doesn't that become a little bit like the tail wagging the dog with some of the retailers you've got to deal with um not really i think if you stay true to what you're about um and, and at the end of the day um if you're happy to forego growth in certain areas because um the relationship isn't the way uh, you'd like it to be, then then you've got to be comfortable with that. And certainly, you know, we've left a lot of demand unmet on the table over the years, and we'll still probably do going forward because um, because we um, we have a focus on building positive relationships and and maintaining our focus on you know building a sustainable businesses. Jamie, Jamie the other um, uh, element, I guess, that I consider intrinsically linked with the whole ethos, I guess, behind Stone and Wood is the, um, uh, I guess, the, the like-minded creativity um, partnerships, which I'm sure, I, I, I imagine, don't um, come into the, the B Corp um, sort of criteria, but uh, the, the working with with surfboard makers, with artists, with musicians and, and all that sort of thing, um, is that something that uh, you're finding is, I guess, still like it was in the early days or is that becoming a little bit harder uh, as as the business expands, no, I think I think you know we've we've I guess I guess um, you know having those connections with like-minded people is 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 part of what we do, um, and it it does it hasn't changed. In fact, probably you know it's it's actually easier now for us to do some of the things we do locally um, through the fact we've got a small pilot plant now, and we can do some small beers. Um, in con in conjunction with some of those people, that, you know, in the in the past, it's been hard to stop stop the the train and uh, and pull up and do something small or one off. Um, so you know, uh, our pilot batch stuff is uh, certainly you know a big focus of what we we've been doing for the last twelve months, and you know, a couple of collabs we've done throughout the year with people like Violent Soho, you know, who who was a band who have been absolute fans of ours for years. Um, 
uh, and have been begging to do something with us for years. And once we had the pilot plant up and running and we had found a space in both of our diaries, um, we did something earlier in the year and that was real fun. You know, um, they, they really share a similar approach to us about keeping things simple um, and they're fun loving guys. And um, yeah, it was, it was a great example of, no, I think, uh, you know, as we'll continue to do that. Mate, when you when you kind of sat around the table yourself and Brad and Jamie, um, and, and hatched the the plan, did you ever think that one day you would have groups of people who are used to thriving on fan adulation and groupies and that sort of thing fawning over you? <laughs> no, certainly not. I think we've got mirrors in all of our houses. Um, um, I think. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> No, I think uh, no. Look, you know, at the end of the day, um, we set out we set out on a bit of a mission, as everyone knows, as part of our story to really, you know, um, try and try and uh, build build a, a small regional brewing business and do it the right way. And um, you know, I guess we we've been focusing on that. And yeah, it's amazing, you know, the people that you attract. And, and I think the great thing is that it's not just those like minded sort of other people out there like you know the rock bands or the artists or the chefs or whatever it's actually the people that that want to work uh in the business and and that's the great thing i think is it's attracted some great people and at the end of the day you know brad ross and i don't um you know we're not in there day in day out anymore it's there's a there's a great team of people in there doing the doing the do at stone and wood every day um and you know i guess that's one of the things that you know uh, we've done over the last 18 months or so is the business has evolved where um, you know the three of us have have looked probably 18 months ago and gone well you know there's there's more to life than just stone and wood and there's some ideas that we wanted to bring to fruition and there's some people in the business that we wanted to see you know um, live some of their um, their dreams or their their development opportunities. So we've we've evolved uh, from being one business, Stonewood Brewing Co, to a, a family of businesses over the last eighteen months. Um, and you know, some of you may have heard, you know, or it might have been picked up on the grapevine around the place that so Stone and Wood Group, which was the holding company that owned Stonewood Brewing Co, we changed the name of that earlier this year to Fermentum. Um, and that holding company, Fermentum, basically now has a has a family business sitting under it. So things like Fixation, Granite Belt Cider, and Square Keg, um, and that's you know I guess that's for us really seeing a, seeing the business blossom in different directions without without messing with you know the the, the golden child in a way that Stone and Wood is. Mm. And I think probably one of the the things that for me makes Stone and Wood quite unique, and that's also something that has a um, a personal connection for me is the the way that you foster um, the I guess the well-being um, of of the you know inverted commas the family um, and the fact that the person that is sort of looking after that for you uh, was my very first manager uh, way back in the days of um, of the keg restaurant and bar. Um, <laughs> So that, that's quite unique. Is that something that you think? Uh, like, tell tell us a little bit about uh, how how the program sort of works or, or how it came about. Well, um, I, I guess the well-being piece comes down to at the end of the day, um, you know, we um, Brad Ross and I left the corporate life to start a business and basically build a lifestyle for ourselves. You know, be, uh, being able to create something that generated and and added value to us. Uh, and helped us live the life we wanted to live. And, you know, for the first few years, that really <laughs> was a very 
dim little light at the, at the end of a very long tunnel. But um, in recent years, you know, it's certainly doing that job for us. So as we've grown, um, it's all about adding value to all of your stakeholders. And obviously the team uh, is one of those stakeholders. And so, you know, we want we want to make sure that people are brewing a good life for themselves. That's sort of, sort of one of the little tags we used internally. But so... So that's all about work and life blend. Um, you know, there's a there's a big talk, there's a big big word, you know, in in HR land, I guess these days around work life balance and all that sort of stuff that people strive for. And we sort of said, well, it's actually, you know, at the end of the day, work life balance isn't something that people can really achieve. It's actually a work life blend. And if you're doing what you really love doing um, and you're enjoying it and you're getting pleasure and and it's feeding your passion out of what you do every day, then Work and life aren't really separate; they're actually one and the same. Um, and and if you and if you're doing the things you love, you actually end up living a good life. So so we put a lot of work into that. Um, and yes, um, we've had we've had a we've had Dale work with us for the last few years. Um, and really, it's about yeah, people coming to work to to see how they can improve and um, better better their better their existence. I guess out of coming to work every day, it's it's sort of a I guess it's a philosophy around yeah people people need to enjoy their time um, doing what they love and um, we're pro- trying to provide people with the same opportunity that we've had out of stone and wood. That said, Jamie, when you've got the the work, what you talk about um, work life blending, I guess people aren't islands; they have you know families and, 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 and people around. Um, whilst their job may be their passion, the the, the passion of the individual, I, I guess you still need to plan around or make sure that they have the sort of ability to enjoy um, you know, the, the, the life that they share with their family. Exactly. And that's, and that's, uh, that's a very big part of what we do with, with everyone in the team is that um, we don't just talk about their, their life um, while they're at work. Um, you know, we want to make sure people have plans in place to work uh, on a 360 degree view of their, of their life, whether it's at home, whether it's a personal passion they want to, uh, pursue outside of work, whether it's yeah things they need to do with their family, and you know we're we're pretty flexible in terms of work hours, etc. So, family is an important part of what we do. We've always been a fairly family focused business, and you know from a good example of us is when we I think we had our first sort of Christmas party in my backyard. There might have been about you know ten of us uh, or a dozen of us, including kids. Um, and since that first Christmas party, we've continued to have a Christmas party where the whole family, you know, um, not just the team, people in the team, but their partners, wives, kids, etc., come along. And I think um, a few weeks ago we had our annual Christmas party, uh, and there were close to 200 people there. Um, and we, and people fly in from all around the country now to come to that. And the team have often had asked us, you know, when are you guys going to get to a point where this is too expensive to do? And 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 we've always had an approach. Well, at the end of the day. Family is an important part of what we do, and um, once a year we want to make sure we get the whole family together um, because it gives us the opportunity to thank those partners, um, wives, husbands, etc., and the kids um, who, you know, entrust us with their loved ones every day um, to thank them for for giving them the support um, that they need. So yeah, it's a pretty big thing in, in terms of family for us. That might lead in a little bit to my next question then, because, uh, you know, going back eight years when it was the three founders um, who were the very visible face, um, you know, I was always really impressed that, you know, Ross 
was out in trade, you know, in, in, in Brisbane, you know, going and visiting venues, touching base with them, you know, regularly on the phone to them, listening to how the, the beer was pouring, the feedback, what else they had on tap. Um, and it really kept you guys uh, very connected with, with trade. And then even as the next level of uh, sales guys came on, there was still a lot of, you'd see, um, you know, Ross out on, you know, the, the, doing the rounds with uh, the, the sales rep. You guys are you know, probably two or three uh, or more stages removed from the guys on the ground these days. You, we've, we've talked at length in the past about how hard it is to grow the physical brewery, but how is it to grow that culture that has been very, very important to um, Stone and Wood when the guys who are out there as your commercial face are much further uh, removed from the guys whose heart um, gave life to uh, Stone and Wood? Yeah, really good question, Matt. And 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 right at the moment, that's something the three of us uh, are working on a hell of a lot. Um, you know, we've certainly got now, and um, you're probably aware that um, we appointed Ben Summons uh, as our managing director for Stonewood Brewing Co. about four months ago. Ben, Another CUB uh, refugee. Uh, yes, yep, 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 um, and one of the good guys, uh, certainly, um, a great fit for Stone and Wood and, and a very smart operator and a very strong people person. Um, and and he now heads up, you know, um, the Stone and Wood team, uh, of which, you know, he's got a leadership group of four, four, four great people who are, once again, a really good blend of beer industry experience. Um, they're fresh legs. They've got great enthusiasm. Um, and so we're going through the process of how the three of us transition um, that that uh, role model leadership, I guess, if you want to call it that, uh, across to Ben and his team. Obviously, we've been doing it ourselves um, since day one, really, with every everyone who starts in the business um, goes through a process of, you know, getting their head around what Stone and Wood's about. Obviously, it starts with, you know, the, the recruitment side of things in terms of who are the right people uh, to, to join the business. But then, yeah, you know, you've got every day you've got to role model the, the culture and the behaviours uh, of that culture that, that you want to see in the business. Um, and even today, to use your example, you know, um, yeah, so even though we're step one step away from the operation of Stone and Wood on a day-to-day -day basis, Ross still spends a couple of days a week uh, out in the marketplace with each of those guys on the road um, riding shotgun, um, coaching them and supporting them uh, and guiding them. Um, and Brad does a similar thing um, with the guys in the brewery. Um, and, and yeah, I sort of tend to work more commercially with the, 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 the leaders in the business in terms of, you know, helping them work through some more commercial uh, challenges and marketing challenges. But, um, but yeah, we sort of still have our points of connection into the business. Uh, into the various operating businesses, but but yeah, it's it's really making sure that you've got the right people in place and that and that culture is very strong. And and we have uh, apart from the Christmas party once a year, we get everyone together. Um, we have two team day, days a year where we pull everyone out of the business um, and spend a lot of time on talking about this stuff. Um, and it's a pretty pretty important part of what we do. Jamie, I remember speaking to you guys over a beer, I'm sure it was, um, probably a Pacific Ale, actually, uh, <laughs> 18, 18 months or uh, or so after you'd started. And uh, I remember being told that you were very proud that you'd actually, at 18 months or, or two years in, had got to um, year five of the, of the business plan sort of thing. Looking forward now, do you guys kind of... Uh, 
are things kind of growing organically or do you now have ideas for, okay, in the next couple of years we want to be doing this or, you know, tell, tell us a bit about the, the future. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, I think, um, and maybe I'll touch on the market a bit later on, we can chat about where we think the market's going. But certainly from our perspective, you know, we've just we bedded down a, a big expansion earlier this year. Um, we've got, as I said, we've, we've got enough capacity to get through this summer, maybe just. Um, we'll continue to grow steadily, um, uh, and and yet look, there is going, there is unmet demand out there, and um, you know, there's markets like WA, uh, South Australia, Tasmania, and even parts of Melbourne and Sydney that we know we can't um, supply, um, but you know, we're, we're we're keeping up with our existing customer base, if you like. Um, so we and and when that's that's a very purposeful thing. We're actually just using that to pace our growth. Um, I think, Matt, you touched on it earlier about rate of growth and the strain it makes on a team. And so, so over the next few years, we'll, we'll continue to just steadily, steadily grow. Um, we might grow, you know, sort of 30-odd to 50% year on year. They're just a little bit ahead of maybe the way the category's growing. Um, you know, and that's, that's, that's just throwing darts at the dartboard. But that's sort of our focus is just to have that steady growth. We don't want to be doubling the size of the business like we were for year on year for a while there. Um, so, yeah, it's about really growing sustainably uh, and not getting ahead of ourselves. Um, and we think that's a really important part of where the market is at the moment is, is that Stone and Wood Brewing Co. Uh, is, it's about sustainable growth and it's not getting too ahead of ourselves in terms of level of investment um too much capacity um and and putting too much strain on the brand or the team in the process so so yeah steady as she goes really um and maybe you know planting some seeds for the future jamie just before we leave corporate culture and uh and that aspect of the chat um you know the th the three founders um met whilst working for Matilda Bay, part of the CUB empire. Um, you know, ben Summons was there. There are other people who have come through. Um, in a parallel universe, if we could go back, would Stoneham would have been possible in that environment? Obviously, they had the talent. Obviously, they had the initiative. And obviously, they had the, you know, the, the ideas and the people to drive it. But could you guys have created what you've created at Stoneham Wood if you were still in CUB and given a little bit more uh, you know, control over your destiny? Well, well, I think I think the thing uh, you got to remember, Matt, is part of our story. A backstory is that uh, you know, even though I was at Matilda Bay back in the late '80s, um, that gee, that seems like a long time ago. Um, uh, Mate, know, I'll, I'll hit you up for a photo of you in that time to accompany the story. <laughs> uh, I was, I was you know, I was charged back in 2000 and, oh, 2003, I think it was. Um, well, with the responsibility of relaunching Matilda Bay within CUB, and um, and that was after me sort of banging the drum a bit internally about the fact that you know this I think it was called specialty beer back then um, was uh, was growing. Um, you know, I think uh, Squires was in a bit of growth, and Creatures had been around for a while, and and I think I was saying, look, guys, there's a market out there. Um, you, you you need to get into it. And they were like, well, we don't know how to. Um, um, so I said, well, okay, let me let me put a plan together. So we created a plan, and and Ross and Brad were part of that plan and part of the team. And yeah, we did just that. We, we relaunched Matilda Bay within the within the empire, if you like, of CUB. 
Um, and we we did it on our own terms. In terms of yeah, we needed space. We needed uh, we needed some distance from the from the larger beast, if you like, um, and some and ability to cr to create and develop things. And you know, um, it, we we got we got from nowhere really in special beer as was was then to I think within eighteen months we'd overtaken squires and creatures. Um, so it was certain it's certainly possible, but. The thing to remember is, and we knew from the moment we started on that exercise, once we started to become successful, uh, the empire would close in on us because people would sort of see that success and want to be want to have their fingerprints all over it. So, and that's pretty much what happened. Um, so we knew, you know, we'd make it successful. Uh, but over time, you know, the big the big guys in corporate land can't help themselves um, and started to pick at it and morph it and change it. Um, and we sat back, the three of us, at that point in time and said, well, we've just done this for CUB. We really should be doing it for ourselves. And, yeah, I, th I think um, I think that was a different time and a different place with, with a different person, uh, with different people at the, at the top of the pile, if you like, at CUB at the time who were happy to give that space and freedom. I don't see those people uh, being in that, in the business, in that business at the moment. But, um, but, you know, yeah, I think, I think, I think it's very hard and, and it's very hard for big businesses to try and play that game, uh, you know, and I think I think that's a bit of a, you know, an echo in terms of where the market is. You know, the big guys are just in the wrong place at the moment uh, for where the drinkers are heading and, and they can't, they don't, they don't have or they can't create what a lot more drinkers these days are looking for. How do you feel about uh, your former employer's homage to, uh, to your baby? What could charitably be called a homage? <laughs> well, uh, someone said to me once that originality has a thousand echoes. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, well, uh, I think I think the tagline of that particular range of beasts um, says it all, really. Follow the herd. <laughs> <laughs> So the unique has become the mundane. <laughs> well, yeah. it, 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 that's probably as good a time as any to... Uh, earlier this year, you had a disappointing uh, court result with the um, uh, passing off the, the federal court case um, with Thunder Road. Um, is there anything that you can talk about at this stage or is that is there still um, legal uh, things on foot? Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, uh, we, got that, we got that ruling... Handed down, um, we we weren't that happy with it. Um, either were our legal team, so um, we pondered it for a while, and at the end of the day, decided it was something we should appeal. Um, obviously, that then so that 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 process is now in place, and I think it's set for February next year. Um, the appeal hearing, um, where there'll be a bench of uh, learned judges um, assessing reassessing uh, the case. So can't really go into too much more about that until that sort of goes through. But, but I guess the other thing in parallel to that is um, we've had a trademark um, application in process since August 2010 um, on, on the whole thing, and that's still in play and probably still won't be heard until the back end of next year. Um, so it's been a long game. It hasn't just been um, one little thing over the last sort of couple of years based on 
based on that court case that's been going on for some time in the background behind it all. Um, so, yeah, it's something that's there. Um, we try and not let it become a distraction for us at the end of the day. We're still focused on doing what we need to do. But, yeah, that's that's still in place and yet to, yet to, yet to find a solution to it. Oh, we'll uh, park that and uh, have a chat once there's uh, things that we can actually talk about. But um, we, we have seen stories come out in the media looking at uh, the, your uh, new plans for the original brewery um, just outside of Byron Bay or just back from Byron Bay? Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, some, an exciting thing. I mean, we've been keeping the lid on it for some time, um, but, uh, yeah, we're... we're we're now getting very close to starting the starting to uh, build uh, a thing we're calling the campus, um, which is really um, the opportunity for us to put um, all of the things that we have in Byron Bay uh, under one roof. Um, you two guys have been to the brewery, and for those listeners um, who have been to our brewery in Byron Bay, you know it's a pretty humble little little metal shed um, with a two bedroom apartment bolted on the front of it. Um, and over the years, we've you know grown and grown and grown uh, to a point where we had to obviously build more woolen bar to to brew beer. But the team didn't stop growing as well in that space. And uh, just reflecting the other day, it was 12 months ago. We still had our head office team working out of two bedrooms, basically in the front of the shed. There, um, we're now managed to find some space next door to a building that was built um, for, a, for another business and we've taken some office space next door. But but it's very difficult for us to have our team scattered around the place. Um, and, and we wanted to create a home for the business that was putting everyone under the same roof. So our, our original brewery, our new pilot plant, our offices and our tasting room all in all in one spot. Um, and that's on a block of dirt we bought about a year and a half ago. Um, on the on the main road on the way into town in Byron Bay, um, so pretty exciting for us. Um, we had to sort of go through some town planning um, pieces, so we we kept it under wraps until that got all approved. We didn't want to frighten the horses, so to speak, in terms of making any announcements until that was all uh, done and dusted. So, yeah, very exciting stuff and uh, and a bit of work to do. Um, but um, yeah, we we hope to create a space where yeah, people can visit the team uh, any day of the week and see how we work and what we do and um, taste some of our beers. Um, so yeah, it should be it should be a great little space. Uh, Jamie, just hearing that, and I, I guess at the moment we see craft breweries, and there are a whole range of different models for growth that people have adopted, and a whole lot of um, you know sort of underlying. Uh, principles or techniques that they've, they, they've used to sell. And as an outsider watching Stone and Wood's growth, I really get a feel that you have drawn a lot of inspiration um, or a lot of, uh, coaching is not the right word, but um, a model that you have studied quite closely is Sierra Nevada and the way that they have grown whilst keeping very true to themselves and their beers and their quality, but manage growth within that footprint. Is, is that a fair observation to make or you know where have you learned all of these uh sort of your approach to to growing the business um look lots of lots of different um i guess businesses have been inspiration to us over the years um you know and and i guess it's no surprise businesses like new belgium um who have a you know an employee ownership program in place and are very focused on sustainability has been an important part of uh of our 
of our focus in terms of looking at the successful businesses. Sierra Nevada, certainly from a commitment commitment focus to quality, uh, sustainability, um, very tight focus on their brand, um, have also been um, a focus for us, as have a business like uh, Anchor Brewing in the US. Uh, as well, and that was more for probably the focus from the from the founder, or well, not the founder, I guess the the sponsor of that business. Um, but certainly, yeah, there's a lot of businesses out there over the years that have provided some uh, inspiration for us, and also some businesses out there that probably aren't successful have provided some learning for us. Um, so yeah, it's we've always kept our eyes open uh, globally because there's people who have tread the path before us and um yeah it's 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 an important piece of building a business to try and find those to find those role models or those examples you're better off learning from other people's mistakes than your own so jamie you did talk about um you had some observations about the state of the market you know it's a fascinating time to sit back and watch the australian craft beer industry where do you think we are you know a lot of people say that we are going to, that there's no such thing as a bubble. You look at how many breweries there are in the state, so we've got a long way to go. You look at people saying IPA is going to become as big as it is in the states. Um, what, what's your read on the Australian market and where we're headed? Yeah, um, look, this is this is a stuff. This is something we spend a lot of time talking about. Um, the the market, the certainly, and it's the broader beer industry, not just um, craft for the want of a better term. Beer, the beer industry is in a huge transition. Um, and it's 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 an exciting time to be certainly in the beer business. Um, you know things are changing massively. The tectonic plates almost are shifting. You know um, the big guys, as I said earlier, that they're not in a great place. We've seen the massive merger. You know the mega brew merger finalised in the last year. And and but as I say, that's not solving their problem. Um, their core problems are still there. Their brands are, are in decline. Um, the drinkers are aren't looking for those things that they're offering and they don't have or can't create the things the drinkers are looking for. So that's creating some reaction amongst the big brewers. Um, but but underneath all of that, the small independent brewers continue to grow fast uh, and a much better position for where the drinkers are going. Um, so that's an important piece. Um, certainly the retail landscape is also changing. You know, we're seeing that you know, the, the two big retailers in, in Australia are under pressure from new competition, you know, new global competitors. But also, I think in the liquor space, their old competitors, the independent uh, trade, are certainly more revitalised these days. And, and I think are starting to, to win the fight in terms of uh, the momentum in where people are shopping for liquor. Um, and certainly you've got the whole online thing happening. So all of that at a retail level, certainly the landscape's changing. On-premise, also the world's changing. You know, you look at the advent of small bars, brew pubs, or here we're probably more brew warehouses, um, restaurants, cafes, they're all really taking trade away from the traditional pubs. So our customer base is evolving and changing and where people are drinking beer uh, is changing massively and, uh, you mentioned, and I think uh, I was listening the other day to your chat with Luke uh, around the market and sort of the, the the advent of more brew pubs or you know these breweries who are having to to some extent revert back to being brewing and selling on premise because they're struggling to cut through in the in the wholesale market, um, and we're seeing more and more of those pop up, and that that's going to morph the on premise market a hell of a lot. The more of those that pop up, um, it's going to certainly I think create a wave 
uh, on premise in the same way the small bars have. Um, people people will get used to drinking in, and eating in brew pubs or brew, you know these brew warehouses. Um, so yeah, certainly certainly the world's changing uh, in the industry. It's something we look at ongoing. And um, but the great thing is, you know, as I said earlier, the small independent brewers are growing. You know, and, and if you look at the last five years, up from probably about half a share point to just over three percent in the last five years, the small independent brewers. Um, and if we can get more data from the industry, banging the banging the drum for the CBIA survey, um, <laughs> we're we're doing that too, Jamie. So, Don't worry about that. Uh, uh, bloody fill your bloody surveys in, guys. Um, um, the better data we have, the more we can know about that. But certainly, um, yeah, there's some very good growth, and uh, and and yeah, I think small independent brewers are sort of the way to go. I think that's you know, I think I think the word craft is just about dead dead, and uh, I think I think the conscious consumers are out there looking for the small independent brewers, and that's certainly what's driving that growth over the last five years. So certainly it's, you know, the, there's four things, though, that I think are probably some real challenges. Um, one's clutter, one's price compression, uh, quality, and then the other one is big dollars. If you look at the market, I think clutter, um, yeah, we're brewers, breweries per capita. Um, I think we're, we're actually, if you do the numbers, we're about the same as the US at the moment in terms of the number of breweries per capita. Um, but the difference is that in the US, there's a massive higher percentage of brew pubs um, in the US. So that, that all those 5,000 odd breweries over there aren't out there competing in the wholesale market. Whereas here in Australia, out of our, I don't know, 400 odd, um, all, most of those, um, if not all of them, either are or have aspirations to compete in the wholesale market. And that's really putting a real squeeze on taps and shelves. And you know, I think that's the, that's the, that's one of the big challenges in the market is the clutter in on-premise and off-premise uh, is going to be a real real issue for some of the small guys starting out. Um, you know, if 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 you can't get a space on a shelf or a tap, um, and even if you do and you can't sell it through, then that is a massive brick wall to the growth of a business. Um, and it's not about tap contracts. It's not about all those other excuses that people give for not being able to get beer on tap. Um, it's just actually, you know, if you don't have a good beer or a relevant brand or differentiated offer, you're not going to be able to get squeeze yourself into that clutter that's in the marketplace. Um, I'm going to be you know, printing that on the got... shirt, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, you put yourself in customer shoes, you know, and and Matt, you know, you've been on the road yourself recently, you know. Um, if, if you run a, run a bar and you've got a group, bar full of great beers on tap um, and a rep walks in trying to sell you their beer, um, you have to ask yourself the question, you know, is this beer they're trying to sell me better a better offer than what I've currently got on tap? Is it a better quality beer? Is the branding and the story and the margin all better than what I've got? Um, will it pull through or not is a big unknown question for these guys. So why risk spending money on buying beer that, you know, may not be up to what I've already got on tap? Um, so if if that rep's beer doesn't stack up to all of that, it won't get on tap. It's as simple as that. And that's, and that's, that's, um, that's nothing to do with control from big brewers or contracts or anything. That's just down to market forces at work and common sense from the retail or, or bar operators. Um, and, and then as quality um, invariably improves for, for the survivors, you end up with half a dozen beers that are of equally good value. 
Um, and then, as you said, it comes to um, brand awareness and price um, because why buy a $320 golden ale or pale ale when you can get the same thing at 250 Yeah, but um, I guess that's that leads me to my next piece around, piece around price compression. Um, and price, look, price is always there. And I think, um, Prop, I think last week you... Uh, you you actually almost got there with your algorithm around uh, price uh, and mm -hmm. uh, and how you know well the way I look at that is it's it's actually there is a there is a formula and it's price times brand equity equals value and at the end of the day uh, that's the value equation that drinkers or bar operators or retailers look at um, and price is one component but brand equity is the other multiplier of that. Um, and price to give you value and brand equity is all about the goodwill of your brand you know it's made up of quality but not just quality it's the strength of connection it's the loyalty it's all of those things that go into a you know that nefarious thing called a brand um, so um, and that's what allows uh, that's what allows producers to charge a premium over commodities uh, branded goods charge a premium over commodity because of the goodwill they have so um, to, to battle against price compression, you've got to have very strong brand equity. Um, and that's, that's, that's the big lever. Not just quality, because quality, um, you know, if everybody's delivering the same quality, you almost end up with a commoditization again, because there's no way of pulling that, you know, looking at that relative quality um, and price. It has to be brand equity, not just price and quality. Um, but yeah, you know, we're seeing price compression and, and it started, I think we've seen in the last 12 months, the, the average price uh, of retail beer starting to starting to head south, um, you know, and and that's and that's being driven by brewers you know, who are looking to grow at the expense of creating value. Um, you know, if they've got weak equity and they want to grow, then they've got no option but to either grow their equity or discount their price. Um, and if you're not patient enough to, or capable enough to grow equity, then price is your only lever to growth. And we're seeing that, um, we're seeing that in the marketplace. Um, and of course, you've also got that whole price compression being driven by certain retailers who are just hell bent on a race to the bottom, you know, uh, the cheapest price in town. Um, and they're either driving their own cheap private label brands or, you know, they're forcing weak suppliers to give into them and give them a, give them a price that they can drive prices down as well in the market. So, price compression is a pretty important piece of uh, you know, and it's and it's a real challenge in the market. Um, I know you guys spoke about this last week, and we've recently just bought some uh, IRI scan data. So, to put a bit of a perspective on things, one of the big jumps jump outs for us was that out of the data was that 65% of craft beer, and this is IRI classification of craft, but 65% of that craft beer is bought in full cases. Um, that's, and that's a, that I, was a, I find that a as a number. fascinating um, statistic. When you look at the uh, Facebook discussion boards, um, you know, one of the standard questions I've seen lately, or does anyone buy a carton of beer um, because they buy singles or, or, or six packs? So just what is the IRA, just so we've got some... Um, understanding of it what is the ira scan data and what what's their definition of craft and and who do they monitor yeah so iri is i think the the latest name for what used to be nielsen data i think it went under aztec for a while it's basically an organization that um 
compiles scan data, so retail scan data, so that every someone every time someone buys something through a cash register, um, that 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 sale is scanned, and this data is a compilation of that of that data. Um, it's it's very heavily skewed to um, to the major retailers, but there are a, there are a number of independent uh, retailers in the sample base, if you like. Um, and then they use that data to try and extrapolate out a market, the market size and, and what's going on in the market. So they capture things like brand, beer style, uh, price point, pack type, uh, pack configuration, whether it's singles, six packs, cartons, et cetera. Um, so that, that data is actual sales to drinkers, um, not, not brewery sales data. Um, and in terms of what they classify as craft, I guess um, it's probably the two big brewers who are forcing them to classify it this way, but it does include um, the brands of the big brewers. Um, so they are in there. Um, and, and, you know, it, the, according to their data, they're saying craft beer, in inverted commas, is, is about 6.3% of the market. Um, but growing at about 30% year on year. But yeah, that 65% of full case sales. And that's the thing, yeah, you do hear people say, oh, I've never bought a carton, you know, I'm buying six packs, six packs, but that's that's the very small end of the market. It's the guys in Prof's telephone booth or elevator, as I call them, um, that, you know, yeah, they probably do buy their beer at six packs because they want to try something different every time they go to the store. And But but there are also people doing that as well as buying full cartons of beer and pantry stocking it, keeping it at home and chipping away at it uh, and, and drinking other beers. And what we're, that sort of 65% of full case sales is, is, a, is a big number. Um, and it does say that people are buying um, and probably, yeah, keeping it at home and chipping away at it. Or people are just buying full slabs and taking them to parties um, like they used to buy full slabs of mainstream beer. Um, the challenge is that obviously um, when you have a strong proportion of full case sales like that, the big retailers or any retailers try to promote full case prices as opposed to six-pack prices um, because that's what's going to drive traffic. So you see that focus on full case sales coming out in price specials a lot um, and you only got to pick up the catalogues of the big retailers uh, in the build-up to Christmas and see the types of beers they're promoting and the format, the pack formats they're promoting uh, and the brands. Um, and yeah, there, there's certainly a lot more international beers and craft beers uh, advertised at full case prices in those catalogues in the lead up to Christmas this year. That's interesting. One of the things I've always looked at is um, beer drinkers have often talked about, oh, uh, that may be changed a little bit, but traditionally, I've heard beer drinkers say, um, you know, I buy a carton because a six-pack price is so expensive um, because of the, the broken six-pack. But with wine, on the other hand, um, there's almost a, a, an inverse appearance where because we're used to buying wine by the bottle, that cartons are seen as a discount, um, whereas with, with, with beer, beers are seen as the, the, the carton is seen as the standard price and the six-pack, the broken carton, is seen as the... Um, gouging price, if you know what I mean. Yep. Uh, well, I think the same thing applies with wine these days. As you buy a single bottle, they advertise a single bottle price at one price, and then the full case price usually isn't, you know, 12 or six times, depending on the size of the carton. That individual price, it's usually cheaper. Mm. Well, um, they'll give you a 10% off, for example, um, if you yeah, buy the six. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think the important thing is that you know um, craft or premium beer used to be uh, you know an indulgence and something you would buy. Um, and I'm talking about the, the the greater market here, not our elevator friends. Um, that you know it's something that you would indulge in and buy a six pack of every now and then, or if you're going to a barbecue where you wanted to impress people a bit more, or you wanted you know you wanted to take a a, a strange or new beer off to um, some mate's house to watch the footy or something and everyone's done the same thing and it's a sort of beer sharing occasion, those sorts of things. But what we're seeing is um, people going, well, actually, you know, a full carton of beer at, at anywhere between 55 and $70 uh, is also an affordable luxury and um, they're happy to buy a full slab of it, whether they use it all at once once or they chip away at it at home over a couple of weeks. Um, that's 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 what we're starting to see uh, from this data is that yeah that's that's the that's the way people are starting to buy beer uh, at, at our end of the market. Where do you see the growth in the market um, coming? Is it you know every year we see the the, the new leading edge styles, whether it's uh, Goza or whether it's uh, sour beers and barrel aging, um, which create a lot of noise within the craft beer community. Do you see the you know the that the, the real growth that drives business development in Australia is coming from that pointy end, or is it more at the carton sales of, um, you know, pale ales, golden ales, uh, summer ales, that style of beer? Yeah, look, the, the two aren't mutually exclusive. Um, I think, I think um, certainly the the pointier end uh, of the market, those beers that are exciting, interesting. Um, and out there are certainly help create the noise, um, the interest, uh, and the sort of halo, if you like, over beer, which is great because it's it's certainly getting people excited and interested. Um, but you're also seeing the greater growth of volume um, in that sort of more slightly differentiated but approachable part of the market. Um, and and at the end of the day, that's you know that's. Like it or lump it, people drink beer for refreshment. Um, um, yes, there are those that drink for as much flavour or as much weirdness as they can, um, and that's fine and that's great. People need to appreciate that as well. But but by and large in Australia, um, people drink beer for refreshment, um, and that's 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 why that approachable end of the market grows faster than anything else in terms of volume. May not be on percentage terms, but certainly in terms of volume. Uh, just, just, Prof, did you have anything there before we moved on? No, 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 good. I, I just had one more, I think, just going back to the start of um, that discussion about the market. You talked about how the big guys are just really struggling with um, trying to find their place in the market. And I, I, you know, I look at CUB and uh, Lion as being fairly different in their approaches. CUB, to my read, has pretty much spent the last couple of years throwing spaghetti at the wall. Um, seeing what sticks of its own is what they run with. They don't seem to want to cultivate and grow brands. Lion seems to be willing to invest a little bit more time in growing brands in a strong regional place. And uh, Kosciuszko um, has been a, a, a growth for them. Um, we've seen them buy Umundi recently and reinvigorate that. Uh, they, they bought a brewery in your own backyard um, and they seem to want to closely associate a brand with a geography, let it grow strong there and then take it out to the um, broader market. Are are you concerned about that approach for small brewers if they've got very, very strong... Or do do you agree that that's their approach? And do you have concerns for strong local brands if if that's their strategy? 
Um, oh, I'm not. I guess it's hard to read in terms of what. I mean, I think I think you probably hit the nail on the head in terms of what line strategy is, CUB strategy. Well, I think it's a work in progress by, from my perspective, but I'm probably better off speaking to them about that. Um, I think I think the key thing is that um, the market certainly has evolving. And one of the other things we got out of this IRI data is that if you look at the the brewer's share of that craft, that six and a half percent of the market, the the two big guys are actually. Um, struggling to hold share or losing in fact losing share uh, within craft beer um, the growth of the smaller independents is outstripping their growth um, and if the trend continues in the next six months you will see as a as a compilation small independent brewers actually being bigger than one of the two big brewers um, so so what that and that's the first time ever in the history of the Australian beer market. Well, not, not, not probably in more recent, say, the last 30 years of Australian beer, that one of the two big brewers haven't been number one or number two in a category in terms of, you know, the, the, the mass of small guys are actually starting to be a bigger scale than them in ter- when you, when, as a collective. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, that, that must be a worrying sign for the big guys. Um, yeah, there seems to be certainly Lions' approach to regionality um, is is an attempt to try and sort of uh, tap back into that. And you know, I guess ABI's approach in the US, you'd say, are trying to do a similar thing. Um, whether they can pull it off um, is is up, you know, is let yet to be seen. Um, but it comes back to that that famous little catch cry I guess they've used a number of times is, you know, it, it's a bit of a corporate comb over at the end of the day. Um, you can try and be regional, but um, if at the end of the day your sole purpose as a business in Australia is to report profits, return profits back to your overseas shareholder, then, um, you know, it's, it's, that's going in a different direction to trying to be a small local brewery that supports its local market. It's a, it's a different beer, but it seems to have worked reasonably well for Great Northern um, up here. They've, uh, they, they, they brew it in Brisbane um, or south of Brisbane, which is closer to Melbourne than Cairns, but it still seems to have captured in you know, Queensland, particularly the uh, regional areas, the, this tagline, um, you know, the beer from up here. Yeah, well, that's a parochial brand, you know, um, you know, and I guess, I guess they've lost that. Um, with with the the foot the barbed wire you know um because forex bitter I, I can't remember the last time i saw forex bitter um but yeah you know i guess obviously obviously that's a that's a that's at a different scale to what we operate though you know and uh i, I think that's more of a that's more of a brand driven uh you know thin de- label deep label deep brand offer right well, mate, we've, we've, we've come up over an hour. Prof, is there anything that you wanted to close out with? Nah, no, all good. I'm, I just, I, I will, um, I'll just have to get together with Jamie and we'll have to kind of work out um, whether it's a, the elevator gang or the, um, or the telephone booth gang because I just figure they're, they're more stationary. Like a, an elevator can kind of rise above its original position and I'm not convinced that those in the telephone booth can. But we'll agree to disagree. Oh, no, 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 no. at that you folks. I think they're stuck between the second and third floor. Yeah, that's it. And I suppose then, if they have actually gone up, they, they can also um, yeah drop further. Yeah. yeah no, no, I, just, I, I expect to receive three or four emails from all of them. Yep. Oh, well, I'm Probably forwarding the ones that I get. 
couple of other things, guys, probably in terms of the market um, quality, I think, and and the big dollars piece for me, just to close out on the, where the market is, I think quality is still a challenge out there. We see it, you know, we see it every day. Um, you know, there's some great beer out in the marketplace, but there's also some beer that probably shouldn't have got out the brewery gate. Um, and I think we all need to continue to improve our standards and really, you know, aspire to be producing fantastic beer. Um, that's that's one of the key drivers of growth at this end of the market. It's a really important piece of the puzzle. I think, you know, ourselves, we we tipped a lot of beer down the drain in the first 18 months of brewing at Merbar, um, a massive amount of beer. And, uh, you know, we sort of took the approach. We weren't worried about the cost. That was an investment in our future. And um, Dick, to echo Dick Cantwell's uh, words at the CBIA's uh, speech he gave on quality this year is, you know, every brewery needs to be budgeting and destroying budgeting on destroying beer each year. Uh, I think that's an important piece of growing the market and evolving the market. Um, the last piece for me is the investment in valuations. Um, and I've been pretty vocal over, over the years about, you know, saying that the industry needed to attract capital um, to, for other small brewers to grow. Um, but I think in the late eight, last 18 months, I, we've actually seen that swing around and there's there's a huge amount of money coming into startups and existing businesses at the moment. And a lot of that investment is unfortunately based on some pretty crazy and ridiculous valuations out there in the marketplace. Um, you know, we've seen a startup recently that hadn't even sold beer, yet they were raising money at a business valuation of $11 million. And... And you just go, wow, you know, it's probably good luck that they've actually been able to raise that cash. Well, unfortunately, but... it wasn't even a startup. It was been a business that's been around for five or six years and still hasn't sold any beer. <laughs> oh, no, that's no, I'm not talking about that one. No, this is, this is, this is another one. No, oh, okay. no, that's, um, no, and, you know, so, but the problem that has is that, you know, what tends to happen, we're, we're starting to see some, you know, some businesses get money that, and it's allowing them to build breweries that are far bigger than what they probably need. Um, and it, that just sinks a huge cost into their business. And it also sets up this very high expectation from those investors for returns. And, and you know, years down the track when things aren't panning out like everyone thought, there's going to be some there's going to be some tears. Um, and, you know, I think things are going to get ugly and desperate. And that's, that's one of the biggest risks we see is, you know, um, overinvestment, overvaluation, driving overcapacity. Uh, and then false expectations, and and that's a real danger for for this end of the industry, um, and probably something that worries us more than a lot of the rest of the things that we've spoken about. Um, so you know, and I think we've already seen some, you know, we, we've already heard some backstories to breweries over the over the recent years that are you know had falling outs with their shareholder bases and founders, etc. And all that comes down to this very thing of of unrealistic or, you know, expectations that aren't aligned in terms of uh, the investors or the shareholders in businesses. And that's, yeah, we, we, we think that's going to drive some crazy behaviour uh, and something that, that is, is alarming to us. But that's the market. But apart from that, we think the market's still growing beautifully, 30% year on year. And, um, you know, if you've got a good brand, um, a good beer, well differentiated in the marketplace and got a great team of people driving it, um, there's an opportunity out there for everybody. Right, that's as good a place as any to leave us. Jamie Cook, always great to, to uh, chat. Hopefully we'll be able to catch up for a beer before too much longer. You're about to head overseas, though, for a well-earned family vacation. Yeah, yeah, off, off, back, to, uh, off back to the UK and Germany and 
Czech Republic. I'm sure, I'll have a beer or two while I'm there. But um, yeah, looking forward to a break. Awesome. Well, um, if we don't see you beforehand, have a Merry Christmas. Uh, please pass that on to the whole team at Stone and Wood and uh, look forward to catching up with you again very, very soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Jamie. In the garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There we go, Prof. Phew. There's a lot in that. Mate, there was. There, there, and yeah, surprising. And a, a lot that surprised me. Um, yeah, and look, as I say, I, I'll say it a hundred times, say it again. I, I don't have a business brain. I mean, I, you know, I know enough about basics and that sort of thing. But listening to, to Jamie really sort of puts a lot of things that you know into perspective and I guess gives you a... Uh, you know, a, a second set of eyes when you when you now sort of look at various segments of the market, um, and a couple of things that he touched on. I thought, you know, the um, the full case side of things, because I guess again, you know, victims of listening to and believing in social media, because it's always who would pay seventy bucks for a slab, um, and so you sort of think, oh, okay, so nobody's, you know, everyone's buying um, six packs or or individuals or reaches or whatever, um, but. Yeah, long live the case. The slab, found, the carton. I, I was which state you're in. That and also the, um, you know, you just assume that beers like James Squires and, uh, you know, Fat Yak um, and Yender are going to be the ones that are out there. But uh, the, the, the top of the pile. Mm. So, yeah, no, I thought that was fascinating. And, and you know, that, that, I, I love speaking to Jamie because, you know, as I've said to you in the past, you know, you, you, you've commented in the past that my questions are more like statements. Um, and that's, you know, if, if it's a criticism, it's a very fair criticism because oftentimes when we speak to these people, I've got things that I am thinking that, uh, you know, I, I'm testing with them. So I just say, well, you know, here's what I think. Would you, what, what do you think of that? So it does come across as a statement. And uh, Jamie, uh, you know, he, he is one of the thinkers, very, very knowledgeable man in the industry. So it's always good to sort of uh, crash some of my ideas up against the, you know, his opinions yeah. and see which ones I survive. Mm. Anyway. So hopefully we'll get uh, a lot of uh, a lot of feedback um, uh, about some of the things that, that Jamie's brought up. I think it'll um, put a rocket up some in the industry in the community, and um, and and maybe get some people to, I guess, readjust their uh, expectations and you know perhaps have a look at their business plans. Absolutely, and uh, yes, no, and uh, Pete, just do want to read out your email because I'm pretty sure that I didn't say anything that was uh, contentious. And uh, as we're about to find out, last week I did have uh, a little bit of feedback um, on one of the views I expressed. Um, again, um, Go so on. oh, cards and letters, <laughs> cards and letters. Oh no, cards and letters. No, I was just asking for your uh, email address. Oh, everyone knows my email address. Okay, just well, send us to me. I will stand by what I say. I stand by what I say, but again, um, sometimes. I didn't say you didn't. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> That's not what I was saying. He's having to go with the flowers, man. Right, come on. Okay. Cards um, and letters. You've been reading my mail. You've been reading my mail. 
Oh, you used to be like ice to me. Now you're asking me to stay for tea. It's as plain as ABC. You've been reading my mail. Uh, last week we spoke about Marcus Cech, um, and he'd uh, commented that you know, he wasn't sure how you and I had come to our views um, that you know, people's beer journey sometimes is uh, a little bit circular. Um, and he, uh, he just followed that up with, thank you for discussing my email in your most recent podcast. Some good points raised, particularly in relation to my age, 32, and childlessness. Um, so, yeah, uh, so it puts him in a very different category to you and I, Prof, who are old um, and with uh, mit family. Oh, oh, older. Oh, yeah, go on. Okay. Potato, potato. Um, fortunately for Australian craft brewers, I do order several cartons of local independent craft beers for my office every month for knockoff drinks on Fridays. So maybe that's where the 65% carton purchase comes from. Oh, there you go. But uh, yeah, no, Marcus, and hopefully you did find that chat with um, Luke. You know, Luke's almost, uh, yeah, the yin to our yang in terms of age, so we can sort of stay, keep in tune with what the kids are all doing. Um, and actually, Prof, that was the one thing I will add to my visit to uh, Stomping Ground. Um, I, while I was sitting there, I did send uh, Luke a text saying I don't want to ever see him uh, complain about the mainstream media's perception um, or portrayal of craft beer drinkers in Melbourne because I'll tell you what, I've never seen more Panama hats on you know, sub-30-year-olds, um, ironic moustaches and unironic, ironic T-shirts in one place in my life. So, uh, so that's yeah. funny because every, every time I've been to... I've, I've, uh, actually, I reckon, I reckon 90% of my visits would have been on a Friday afternoon... Uh, corporates, just all, you know, just local businesses um, all coming down for a, a get together, a quick lunch and, and, and back to work. Okay. And then, and then groups of, you know, pram pushing um, young mothers and uh, I haven't seen a hipster there. So there you go. It's just, you know. Well, this timing. was, maybe it was Sunday or maybe everyone looks like a hipster to me, but uh, yeah, I was in my chambray um, and my uh, ironed uh, acid wash jeans. Um, so maybe You weren't wearing was... a vest again, were you? <laughs> Moving on, moving on. Um, Any other letters or cards? Uh, more, more cards and letters. Now, following on the theme from two weeks ago that Marcus uh, raised, um, Simon Godden um, emailed us from Gerringong, New South Wales, a beautiful part of the world, and uh, one that I believe is still Son's uh, craft brewery prof. Um, yeah, I'm not. It, it rings a bell. Um, so I'm not sure because it's because I can think of uh, having spoken to somebody about there being a craft brewery there. Um, or Maybe or Simon can follow up and let us know. Fill us in. Okay. Yeah. Um, under the title, A Little Bit Condescending. Hi, Matt. I've just, I haven't finished this week's podcast interview with Peter Fielding as yet, but I nearly didn't get as far as the interview. Sorry about that, Peter. Um, because your comments in the introduction. We all know you and Pete are not big fans of IPAs. Now, I'll cavil with that, but I won't now. Um, we get that. Hmm. But effectively, Wrong, we told... Wrong, but go on. Yeah, um, but to effectively... Yep. We, we just don't gush over them. Um, but effectively, to be told that if you haven't moved on yet from IPAs, then you haven't really matured in your tastes. And just wait 18 months and come back and, um, to us when because it will happen. Could you possibly be more condescending? I feel like a little boy again being told, just wait until you grow up and then you'll see how right we are. Believe it or not, there are 
quite a lot of people in this big world of craft beer drinkers, inverted commas around craft, uh, for whom the IPA is their go-to beer, and indeed it has been so far longer than 18 months. In my case, about four years, I'd guess about the same number of my mates. Uh, now, I, I know that you're not, that we're not in the majority, and that's fine by me, but to be told I'll grow out of this fascination for hops was just a little bit over the top, even for you guys. By the way, still love the show. Keep up the good work. Um, love the email. That is the way to, uh, listeners, that is the way to express your point forcefully um, and tell us that you think we're wrong, but still do it in a nice way. So thank you for that, Simon. Um, and Prof, I did get back to him and say, um, look, I didn't mean to be did you, say, did you say Prof didn't say any of that stuff? That was actually just Matt? So what's, <laughs> well, this, what's this we, pale face? Well, I, don't, I guess you're guilty by association um, because you keep coming back week oh, after yeah. week. Oh, look, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be the tonto to your Lone Ranger, but, you know, go on. Mind you, this week, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm not guilty by association <laughs> with you. But anyway, um, I, and I just got back to, Mark, uh, to Simon and said, look, I didn't mean to be condescending, um, and I don't think a mature palate is someone who doesn't drink IPA. Um, I, I drink a lot of IPAs. I just don't give the, I just don't rate them as high, you know, hype them as much. Um, but, you know, I've noticed, particularly over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, there have been some much better IPAs. They're fresher, they're local, and they have much more than just hops, which suits my palate. I know not everybody's. Uh, but anyway, uh, I did say it's something that I've it's, noticed, um, I've noticed and others have remarked on. Um, I suspect I haven't explained myself well on this occasion. Um, that said, the get back to me in 18 months line, was more targeted at the people who describe anything less than a ridiculously hopped IPA as a beginner's beer. And that was what led us into that discussion from Memory Prof. You know, there was some people throwing off about gateway beers and how, um, you know, they're basically... Oh, that's right, no, it was a discussion about a bar list and what they should have on. And somebody yeah. made the comment, oh, you've got to have a golden ale for the beginners and the girls sort of things. Um, and, and I took umbrage at that, and you know, I'm quite willing to back that comment that anyone who wants to, you know, sort of stand in the peanut gallery or the phone booth gang that you discussed um, and say that, you know, it's less developed palates that drink a beautiful lager like the Thornbury Lager um, or a Golden Ale, um, and it's, it's the mature drinkers who drink IPAs, then... I think you are a peanut um, and, and I think you are wrong. And yes, get back to me in 18 months if you're one of those people and then we'll see um, what you're drinking um, as well. But it, it certainly wasn't a catch-all. It is a very big, interesting market. Everyone has their own journey through craft beer. Um, but, you know, it, it's a choose your own adventure and it was just something, um, as I said to Marcus, that I had noticed. Um, and again, as uh, Jamie Cook um, commented on today, I think there's there's a lot of market data to to support that that's uh, the journey that a lot of people go on. Yeah. Any other cards and letters, or is it? Uh, that's good no, too. I appreciate the reply. Um, I do enjoy the show and have learned a lot from it. And I'm sure if I was doing the show, I'd receive plenty of feedback telling me how little I know um, and to pull my head in. Um, so it's good you can take a little criticism on the chin. So, um, and it's good that you can give that criticism in a constructive manner, Simon. So thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, Prof, I don't... Oh, there, there was one other thing that I may have been able to um, put up in news, and that's where, um, if we can shit-can something or talk about the, where the market goes, received a media release this week. Um, mm -hmm. Jamie's <laughs> Jamie has talked about, in this 
interview how big brewers just don't get it. Um, and I didn't get a chance to actually to write about this media release, but the Australian Beer Co. Um, you know that those three poor little guys, you know, stuck in a easy, um, yeah, yeah. Come on, Yenda, you're talking okay. about the Yenda beers. Media release, uh, Thursday, December one, twenty sixteen. As official beer of the Australian PGA Championship, Yenda will today launch an exclusive tournament beer, a craft lager named Yenda Eagle, to be enjoyed at this month's event, December one to four. While lager has traditionally been the domain of mainstream brewers, craft brewers are starting to experiment in this area. Uh, with the unfiltered uh, lager Yenda Hell already a popular style within the core range, Australian beer company's head brewer Andy Mitchell is hoping to put the latest guest edition Yenda Eagle will be hit with golf fans looking for a refreshing and thirst-quenching lower alcohol beer that can be consumed throughout the day. Um... Craft lagers tend to be few and far between, but there's no denying that lagers are refreshing and thirst-quenching. For the golf occasion, we are looking at a mid-strength, mainstream style of craft lager that would serve as a refreshing antidote to Australia's hot weather. Mm. Well, mate, so I'm, I'm, so I'm sorry. Well, they've, they've covered everything there. What? Eagle. Well, so as in... Okay, okay, okay. What's so, an eagle is, is three under par, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, it is. So it's kind of... Yeah. No, but, but it's not that. And it's for the goal. <laughs> How can you have a mainstream craft lager? <laughs> you know, we're looking at a mid-strength mainstream style of craft lager. Yeah, mainstream style. So one that, one that you would be familiar with. So don't be scared <laughs> off by craft. Isn't that what they're saying? Well... But how, but no, how I can read, I'm, I'm listening to this as you're reading it? So yeah, yeah, I know that. Okay, so so, so what does craft no. mean in that sentence then? Does it mean small? No, because it means, it means all. Malt. Does it mean independent? Well, you could argue that many people would consider that craft should be um, intrinsically aligned with the word independent, but there's debate on that topic. Is it about tradition? Oh, and I'm just run, running through the uh, you know, American definition that doesn't trend, but I'm look because you can't define what craft beer is. Um, no. Small, independent, traditional of the American Brewers Association definition. So I'm just sort of going through. Um, and then one of the other things is, you know... I'm not trying to defend it because I know that the marketing department is probably, you know, a million miles divorced from the, the, the brewing and sales section of the of the business. Absolutely. And I'm quite willing to say that even but though these quotes have been what they're, to what they're Andy trying to Mitchell, do. he didn't actually say them. But, you know, then there's that. Once you start getting away from the actual, you know, saying this is what craft beer is, there is that whole Dennis Denudo, it's the vibe, it's Marbo, it's, you know, it's the it's Marbo, it's the vibe of the thing. Um, hmm. And once you get to that sort of really nebulous, um, it's, what the f***, how the f*** is this anyway craft? It's made by the Coca-Cola business that is big enough to sponsor the Australian PGA Championship. Well, Coca-Cola has an interest in in the Australian beer company. Well, but they are the distribution arm. It? It's it's the same guys who are out selling yeah. Grinders Coffee, um, Coca-Cola, you know, Premix, Mount Franklin Water, and Yenda. Oh, yeah. So you know, let, let's not let, let, let's not yeah. pretend. Um, I mean, it, it, it's it's small compared to Abbotsford, and it's small compared to um, Yadala, but it's still a pretty substantial brewery that's got a whole lot of. Um, and, and, and look, I'm not taking anything away having just said how wonderful craft lagers are and how wonderful a well-made lager is. But when you, you know, I, I think we can officially say after this media release, Prof, that we're in the post 
craft beer world because when you can have a craft beer that is described as a mainstream mid-strength lager that is sold by Coke at, as a sponsor of the Australian PGA, that craft officially has absolutely no meaning. Yeah, possibly. I, I think, I, yeah, maybe. I don't think it's gone that far. Oh, well, you know. We don't have to agree no, on no, everything. I know that, but this, it just feels good to get that off my chest. It's been a long time since... Yeah, no, good. <laughs> it feels no. a long time yeah. since I've shit kept in on But uh, this was one of those ones that just made me... Uh, yeah. It, it, and listeners, if you can pop out there onto iTunes and, and perhaps recommend that our uh, family rating uh, be altered. Oh, okay. Um, just, just through the number of F-bombs that Lockie, Matt has... Lockie, please, um, yeah, please, please take... Yeah, if you could put a little... <laughs> But to me, look, that, that sums up everything Jamie was saying. That the that. big guys just don't get it. They, you know, this this is Yender being the fat man trying to squeeze into the small, um, you know, designer suit that he bought on sale. And not only does he look ridiculous in it, but no one can put it on. He's having him. a go. Fat so, he's fat shaming, yeah. <laughs> All right, send those cards and letters well, too. No, look, I'm sure, we'll, I'm sure we will get plenty of, of, of response. And I'm sure plenty of people will agree. Well, yeah, well, I'd actually like to hear, again, I'm, I'm hoping that if you don't agree as strongly as I do, that you can pull apart my reasoning because that's what the conversation is. It's been a long episode. We better, we better get going. <laughs> okay, mate. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm not I, I, trying I know, to wrap I know, it up. Mate, well, maybe you can uh, give some thoughtful, considered oh, They'll be dropping uh, off comments, in their droves. Uh, based on that next week. I'll try. Okay, mate. Always good to chat. It was great right. to uh, catch up with you uh, for, for Very much. this week. And uh, IRL. Yeah. We have had a bit of a chat. Um, actually, just very quickly before we go out, um, haven't had anyone leave a review. We've had some great emails this week and last week. Please, if, if you disagree, you agree, you don't like being called a peanut, you don't like being called part of the telephone game, or you uh, agree that there are people who fit in that mould, um, please shoot us a, uh, an email. Um, leave us a review on iTunes or your favourite podcasting app. You can support the show by becoming an executive producer or producer by having a very, very small cup of coffee style uh, subscription each week or you can make a one-off uh, donation um, to the show. Uh, and uh, yes, and as we mentioned, there is a little bit of merch um, that we're going to be expanding some of our merch. So if you like... Um, Great, great ideas idea, for Christmas. Great ideas for Christmas, indeed, Prof. Um, and next week we're chatting to Banners, Mike Bannenberg, um, about uh, just basically three old men uh, reminiscing. The week after... Old oh, 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 bird. Oh, yeah, go on. And, and, and the week after, Prof, we're going to be doing our end-of-year seasonal show. So, listeners... Um, Special Christmas show. Spe specifically, we know you're out there. Um, yep. We would specifically, once you get uh, to work, um, catch a train to work, or you get off your rowing machine, or whatever it is you're doing while you listen to us, um, yeah, pop in, that. shoot us a text message. Um, you can find us on, uh, you, can, well, you can find my, my mobile number on uh, Bruce's website. You can send us an email. You can leave some comments on iTunes. But we'd love to hear your thoughts. What were the highs and lows? Um, for 2016. Um, what beers did you love? Where do you see? We talked last week with uh, Luke about where the industry is going. What were your thoughts on what the industry 
Yep. Yeah. What are your predictions? Yeah. Who do you think is going to be the first brewery to sell out or the next brewery to sell out? Um, whatever it is, we'd yeah. love to think about hear your reflections on uh, 2016. Basically, basically, write write the script for our, our Christmas show for us, well, please. Well, mate, <laughs> give us give us all as the material. Shown, there's no trouble with us crapping on for an hour, but we would love to hear uh, a lot more and make you guys much more part of the show. Or use that number um, and even leave a comment. Um, leave a you know, an old school comment uh, that we can play for everyone to, to hear. Um, anyway, thank you very much, listeners. Thank you, Prof. Always good to chat, and we will chat to you next week. Oh, this little refrain Should help me explain As a matter of fact, I love beer Yes, he likes beer And we're out.